0: Alrighty, um, questions, thoughts from this morning. You got our microphone. Pete, where do we? Where's you got one microphone here, um, and any, any? Yes, Renee, Lucia.
1: My understanding of forgiveness is that we forgive um, people whether they are repentant or not. Is that true?
0: It all depends what you mean. The people who say we should forgive the repentant and unrepentant alike, what they mean, I largely agree with. I just wouldn't call that forgiveness. Um, forgiveness, as I understand it, involves the restoration of a relationship. So we sin and our relationship with God is broken. We're his enemies, you know? um, and we're hostile towards him. If I remain hostile towards God, in what sense are we at peace? God can say, I forgive you, And maybe in your mind that removes the penalty of hell, but we are not reconciled until I cease my hostility as well, right? So there will not be people in heaven who are angry and warring with God. I don't believe God forgives the unrepentant. And so likewise, I can relinquish all bitterness. I can relinquish all, I'm going to get paid back. I want my pound of flesh. I can give it all over to God. And that's what a lot of people mean by forgive. Absolutely, we are to do that. There's no place for bearing of grudges, holding of grudges, of uh, that. But until the person recognizes the wrong, how can there be a restoration of the relationship? So I, since I'm defining part of forgiveness is the restoration of the relationship, no, I don't think we can. But I largely find it an issue of semantics with people who say you can. We're just calling the same thing different names. So I can go further with that, does that help?
1: Well, it does, and I think a lot of people, Christians, are confused over forgiveness, and um, I mean, I've struggled with that a lot, but I've come to the, I came to the conclusion there is a difference between forgiveness and restoration, that Mm. we must forgive others because we've been forgiven more than we could ever be offended by any other person.
0: Um, It it all comes down to what you call it. If somebody were to wrong me, say somebody, you know, um, attacked my wife and my family, they're thrown in jail. I would hope that my desire would be that this person would would come to recognize the wrong they've done, that we could forgive and restore that. I would hope that in the meantime, I would not be harboring grudges, I'd be praying for them, that I'd be hoping to even do them good if I could. I would, would, all of those things, give it over to God. I'm not mad at you, I'm not angry with you. and I think most people who'd say you forgive the repentant would define what I just said as forgiveness. And I, which is why I'm getting back to the issue of semantics, because what usually people mean, I agree with. Amen. We should be doing that. I would just add into that the restoration yes. as also part of forgiveness. So it, it usually boils down to semantics. People can. I mean, I've seen on the internet that so people need big debates to forgive. And I think really, I think we're agreeing on what we should do, and just calling it different things. So personally, I think forgiveness involves restoration. Um, I'll, I'll take it a step further. Definitionally, would it not be ungodly to forgive the unrepentant?
2: Okay, wait. I have to think about that a minute.
0: What oh, true no. thing? What uh, true thing about God do I right, model you, and true. reflect? when so I forgive have to, the unrepentant. You
2: have
1: to be repentant, yes, to be. I'm to right.
0: forgive as our Father in heaven forgives us. Right. So I'm, right. I, I'm, I'm taking my cues from God and how he forgives. And so that, that'd be the other argument, I mean, that's kind of a sideways sort of theological argument. Um, but God's attitude is one of, I want peace, I w- come to me. I mean, and that, again, should be our attitude. He sends his son out to seek the lost, and so there's no place for, you know, you're gonna get it. <laughs> no place for that. Our attitude, we want to be at peace. We're pleading with people to be reconciled. Um, so no, I'm, I'm, don't hear me say for a second there's any room for bitterness and, and any of that. It just, it, it just gets done, usually down to semantics, but anyway. Um, good question, good question. Thank you. Uh, other questions. Oh, candy
2: with her, is there. You say, but you don't restore the relationship. What if they're family and there's no repentance, but they're professing believers. But how do you do that with family then?
0: <laughs> okay. Let's get this easy, oh, easy ones. Candy easy, easy ones. Um, well, it's tough because the, the nature of this whole thing is that sin breaks a relationship, right? It does with God, it does with believers. And so I'm not mad, but like, where somebody has lied to me or something, I gotta go talk to them about it and say, look, you know, you've lied to me. And the whole process of church discipline is in place, and that, that escalates, because that needs to be resolved. We can't leave that static. We can't just live here for years and years and years with unresolved, unreconciled sin. So I go, so say, let's, let's flip it around. Let's say I, I lie to, um, I don't know, to Ron Ludwig. And Ron comes and says to me, hey Jeremy, you gave me your word, you'd do this, and you didn't. And I said, Ron, get lost, you know? And, <laughs> and you know, what, is, Ron to act like, is Ron now commanded to act like everything's cool, everything's copacetic? You know, Hicks said, hey, we're at peace, we're good. No, he's, you know, now hopefully he's not personally offended. Per- hopefully Ron's attitude is, you know, I can, I can be mistreated, but man, Jeremy is is not right with the Lord when he's talking like that, and I care about Jeremy, and I care about his testimony, and this church, and the body, so he comes and talks to me again, I tell him to get lost. Well, the whole point of Matthew 18 is not to be mean and harsh, but this is so important of an issue we can't leave it there. So Ron's gonna go get two or three other people to come talk to me, help me to see, help me to see reason, right? And I tell the two or three people, you know, get lost. I'm the pastor; I lie when I feel like it. You know, do we leave it there? No. Now we take it to the body. The whole body tells me, hey, Pastor Jeremy, cut it out. And I tell them, get lost. You know, and eventually we break fellowship. I mean, excommunication. The word sounds all scary it just gets communion fellowship we are breaking fellowship excommunication simply means the breaking of fellowship what it's saying is when you've got an unrepentant issue of sin we are recognizing now formally the breaking the brokenness of our fellowship right Um, so all we're doing is declaring we are in a state of broken fellowship right now which is what sin does so it's when you've got people who aren't part of the same body but are part of the same family professing believers it gets tough you try to be as at peace as you can with people but yeah it's going to be hard i mean but usually families that are broken like that um where people aren't part of the same body are not generally worshiping together and praying but that'd be tough i mean if i like i have three sisters who profess to be christians and if they were unresolved sin i'd have a difficult time worshiping alongside of them praying with them it'd be because we've got this thing we got to deal with and it's not dealt with and i mean and, and if i love them I can't just sort of overlook it and move on, which is what generally people want to do. Like, okay, I know I've got this wrong thing. I don't want to deal with it. Can't we move on? Well, if I love you and you're a believer, no, I can't. Not because I'm personally offended, not because I personally need to get mine, but because I care about you. Um, No more than if I saw um, somebody have symptoms of some disease or cancer, I, I would stop urging them to go see a doctor. And just leave me alone. I want to talk with this. You know, you keep saying, no, no. Especially if you thought there was a treatment, especially if you thought there was a cure, you'd be, go, get in there, get in there, right? Um, so, where you don't have a common body that can move it any further, you simultaneously are trying to be at peace, trying to have a heart of reconciliation, but yet re- recognizing that to the degree there's undealt with sin, there will be some breach, some um, division, and a lack of unity and oneness in mind. I mean, because this. The reason why this is so critical is the standard of union that we're called to in John 17 is just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one, Jesus' prayer is that we might be one. And Paul's prayer in Philippians two, if there's any, okay, I can't quote it, so let me look it up. Is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit? Hold on, I'm mangling it, so, Philippians two. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That standard cannot be held where there's unresolved sin. Now the problem is we've generally in the church settled for something much less than that. All I have to do is just be able to see you, greet you peaceably, rub elbows with you, eat a donut, drink a cup of coffee with you on Sunday. I can do that with all sorts of unresolved issues, <laughs> but if we're really aiming for the standard that Christ has aimed for, then we're going to find those things to get in the way. So no, there's not a place, there's not a place where like I can't talk to you because we have unresolved issues. It's more of a recognition that's what's going to happen. To some degree, our relationship is compromised. To some degree, there's a rift in our relationship. and I want us to be at peace. I want us to be unified. I want us to be one like the Trinity is one. So I'm looking to resolve that. Um, that's my stance. So it's, it's not, we're not punishing until we resolve this, I'm not talking to you, I mean, that's not what's going on. But it's just merely a recognition that that is what unresolved sin does, it, it yields division. Just like Adam and Eve, ate the tree and they're separated from God, that's what happens. Um, so that might be a long roundabout way of answering your question. But so I don't think we need to artificially introduce separation as much as risk recognizing that's what happens. To the degree, we're not on the same page, we're on a, we've got unresolved issues, there will be some level of division. Um, it's just the sad consequence of, of sin, and we should want that to be reconciled, and to the degree that we can make peace, we become peacemakers. That, okay. Other questions or thoughts or oh, Kay. here we go. Okay. Um,
1: oh boy. Okay. So I actually have two questions. Yes. But, um, so first, what if someone um, then they they do apologize or mm-hmm. are they um, but we can't tell that it's genuine mm-hmm. um, but then we're not really allowed to pass that judgment
0: right well, okay so so say yeah.
1: the, the story yeah. of where you lied and they came yeah. and confronted you and then you're like you know what you're right sorry and then you just that's it i lie again and then you, yeah you lie again lie okay again. so sure we're supposed to keep forgiving you yes. but um you know you're really not genuine in what you said
0: yes well that's a that's a fantastic question um, and this is, again, something I deal with pastorally frequently. Someone gets caught in some sin um, they repeatedly get struggled in. And I think the key issue that Jesus is talking about, when I gave the example of penance, is our desire for punishment. Is, is There's no place for that. But what you can say, right? So let's just say um, I lie to you the seventh time. And you say, okay, Jeremy, I really... Love hopes all things believes all things, bears all things. I'm hoping and believing you're sincere. However, this is the seventh time in the days and I am curious what, what are you planning on doing differently this time? You know, you're, you, now you could ask that as a way of sort of rubbing my nose in it, but genuinely, you know this has happened seven times you say and seven times you said you're sorry, and sometimes you did it again. I'm curious, are you planning to do anything differently about it? You know, does, has not the Lord revealed this has got some particular strength and grip in your life? You know, what, so I, I don't think Jesus has given us a magic formula where if someone says, I repent, you're now like, okay, they said the magic words, now you're done. So I've, I feel free to ask questions to make sure that what they say when they say I repent is biblically what repentance is. And one of the texts we had in the notes that we didn't get to is uh, 2 Corinthians 7. Ten, eleven, which speaks of attitudes of repentance, that I think you can um, you can try to identify. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment at every point you proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So I've I've had situations with people where you know they've they've they got caught. And like, I'm sorry. And you're just trying to ask them, trying to figure out what they, what they, what they think's going on. And it quickly becomes clear as you talk to them, they're not repentant at all. Their own words make that clear. It's not, I'm not sensing. It's, you know, um, are you prepared to make restitution? Are you, are you willing to go to the people you lied to and, and apologize? No, I'm not. Okay, then what you're calling repentance isn't what I understand repentance to be. Which is, I get where we're getting at. What they mean. It's not the magic word. I repent. But, you know, like say somebody's wrong with somebody. Because yeah, I usually get brought in at the two or three levels. So, you know, people are butting heads. And they can't, like, oh, wow, you lied to these people. Okay. Yeah, I did. Well, are you willing to go and are you prepared and willing? Part of part of a repentant actually is a willingness to do that. I'm not saying you have to do that first for you to be forgiven, but are you willing to do that? Oh, no, I'm not going to go do that. Okay, then I don't think you're <laughs> connected. So I think there is a place for that to, to make sure we're communicating clearly, to get past jargon and lingo. But I, I don't think there's any place for us to give hoops to jump through first. Well, when you do this, this, and this, then, I will forgive you. Um, but I would feel comfortable saying, look, when you're willing to deal with this, I'll, I'll be happy to, you know. Um, I'll, but if you're not willing to deal with this, no. You know what I mean? Like. Um, say someone say someone stole money from me, or from my wife or my family or something, and, I, and they came to me. If they said I can't repay you, I spent it all. Will you forgive me? I say sure, you know. But I, I may also ask, but are you to the degree you can? Are you willing to? Are you intent to? They said, Oh no, just forgive me. Okay. Again, what we just saw there is one of the one of the fruits of repentance is. One of the characteristics, a desire to make things right, and avenging of wrong, and you're lacking that. I, I, that could raise questions, we could talk. But repentance is an issue of the heart, it's not a work. You don't have to do things. So um, frequently, what I'll also come up with when people get caught and ensnared in sin, again, I'll get brought in at step two or three where someone, you know, they got a big, get a big say it's a big drinking problem or pornography problem or something. And now we're dealing with something that's you know, become, um, what like a life dominating sin a real stronghold and there may well be a need not as a way of punishing the person but okay you're you're really really weak in this area wow you know as it all comes to light what's been going on and we want to help you we want to help restore you that's what galatians 6 2 says to mend broken bones you know you're gonna need some help with that and the person's attitude as you talk to them may well indicate i want no help leave me alone i'll take care of this myself which raises all sorts of questions about repentance right you can talk more or they like, no, yeah, I do need help. Help. Um, and, we're, and, we, you know, and so you might talk with somebody through getting some internet accountability or getting some other forms of account. None of this is punishment. None of this is you've been a bad dog and you're going to get it. It's, we, we believe you when you say you want to change. And we know that alcohol or pornography can have a huge hold on people. And so it's had a huge hold over you for years. And so we're going to we'll try to help you come up with a plan to break free of this. And someone's lack of interest in that may well raise questions. But again, you just got to talk more and ask them what they mean. I can't just be like, well, I don't think you're, I don't sense that you're repentant. If you say you're repentant, I'm going to believe you. But there's all the room in the world for verification. So say you got somebody who comes, who, who gets caught after 20 years of drunkenness and alcohol abuse, and they say they want to repent, and we believe them. Absolutely be wise to have people checking in on them regularly. You've been drinking how's that going because we would expect after 20 years of slavery alcohol that's going to be a difficult th- thing to cast off and so verification doesn't mean we don't believe the person's repentant but for their good it helps just knowing knowing that my wife will see any link I click on on anything is a wonderful wonderful way to keep me strong if I wake up at three in the night morning and can't sleep and if I were tempted to click on something out not do knowing that so that type of verification isn't put in place because my wife or the elder suspects me of some evil. It's, it's just verification doesn't negate repentance, but you can't make the one condition on the other. Does that make sense? So on the one hand, someone says, I repent, and they, they, they're communicating that genuinely. We forgive them. They mean that's what they mean, and that doesn't preclude after forgiveness if it seems warranted verification. What it does preclude is further punishment. You're in the doghouse until... You prove to me otherwise i mean, it won't be this you know you know i love you but i don't like you type of nonsense um that yeah, I, I hear people sometimes throw out as if the trinity the father would ever say that to the son you know as if there's anything supernatural and miraculous what i love you but i don't like you um but th- i'm rambling a bit does that get where you're going to or yep, it helps. okay but okay. i did have one other question
1: that, go for it um so there's something about like you know things that aren't Technically, sin, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first questions: yeah. Is it truly sin? So it isn't. But say it's, you know, it's a preference. Yeah. And um, and so we, can, you know, is it okay for us to to be upset about our preferences if they're not? Um, and and then it.
0: No, go back to Romans fourteen. Okay. Um, Romans fourteen. Deals with issues of conscience. And what's, what's fascinating about verse 14 is Paul will clearly weigh in on who he thinks is right. Because he identifies the strong brother and the weak brother. So Paul is not saying, who knows? In his view, you'll see that those who eat meat and vegetables have a stronger conscience than those who only eat vegetables. Because of association with idols. Um, so Paul clearly thinks one side has the right of it. And yet his whole instruction here, look at 14. Romans 14, as for one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat everything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. I want to pause for a second. One of the most misunderstood things about stumbling is Paul here does not say, if somebody thinks you shouldn't eat meat, no one should eat meat because then you're causing them to stumble. Stumbling is causing someone to sin. What I read earlier in 1 Corinthians eight is if my eating of meat will tempt someone against their conscience to eat meat, I need to not eat meat. The modern day equivalent would be if my drinking of of a beer in front of someone who struggles with alcohol would tempt them to drink beer, I need to not do it. If, however, it's simply the issue that you think Christians ought not to drink alcohol, I'm not bound now to honor that. We're to be at peace with each other. I shouldn't be rubbing it in your face. But Paul does not tell the people who eat meat, stop eating meat, because some people think you shouldn't eat vegetables. So The, I, I, the only reason I mention that is, is because we've got to distinguish between differing conscience issues, which is not the issue of causing someone to stumble. Here, Paul says, be at peace. Stop judging each other. Stop despising each other. And legitimately tempting someone to sin. Um, so I've just heard that misapplied before. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's important to make the distinction. Where is it? Um, it was at, uh, I'm trying to think what the scenario was. Um, I think it was, oh, I remember what it was. I was at church and I was on the worship team, a small worship team, and I, and I wore, it was in California, and I wore shorts. And some people think you should dress up, and I was talking to the worship leader, and, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll wear, if you want me to wear slacks, I'll wear slacks, that's fine. But we were talking about it, and he said, oh, you just don't want to cause other people to stumble. And I said, I don't think my legs are that attractive. Um, <laughs> And I was teasing him, but he had confused the issue. I would be causing people to stumble only if my legs became an object of salacious desire or if somebody who thought they needed to wear khakis to church, man, he looks so comfortable, I want to wear shorts. Now that would be causing someone to stumble. I think what he really meant is you might tempt people to judge you and look down on you. If that's the case, First Corinthians says just stop it. He doesn't say stop eating meat. So that that distinction is clear. Causing someone to stumble is not doing something someone else's conscience disagrees with. Otherwise, we'd all be a slave to the person with the most restrained conscience, right? (laughs) (laughs) The issue is if you're tempting someone. So when someone talks about stumbling, you want to clear, are we actually talking about leading someone into sin or simply tempting someone to judge? Because Paul here says, Very clearly, verse three, let the one who eats, let not the one who eats despise someone who abstains. So I'm not to, someone has a more strict conscience than me, I'm not to call them puritanical or pharisaical just because they, you know, we all tend to think we're in the perfect sweet spot where anyone more liberal than us is licentious and, and not serious and anyone stricter is a Pharisee. Right? And so, you know, my standards where I draw the line with movies is perfect. And those other people, they just, they'll watch anything. And those people are Pharisees. And I just happen to have nailed it just right. No, if someone's got a more conservative conscience than me, I'm not to despise them. And the one who abstains, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on him who eats. The person who has the more strict conscience shouldn't be judging those wicked sinners. The other person, and we're talking about issues that aren't clear God commanded. We're not talking about, like, adultery. <laughs> Let not the one judge the... No, we're go confront your brother on sin, but here we're talking about that. He'll broaden it out to other issues than just eating meat, right? So verse four, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another is before his own master he stands or falls, and he'll be upheld till the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another seems all days alike. So some people are gonna take Sunday off, they're not gonna work on Sunday, and they're gonna set it aside as special to God, and others are still gonna gather together, because that's a command, but they feel free to go to work after church. Great. Wonderful. And I know in this own body, there are people of those varying convictions. Um, and so he says, um, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. You can honor a day to the Lord. Good, awesome, be fully convinced. You wanna leave here and go to work? Be fully convinced in your own mind, amen. Verse six, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. So two Christians... One could not work on Sunday and honor God with a con- clear conscience. And the other could go to worship and then go to work with a clear conscience and both are honoring God. Isn't that amazing? Differing convictions. They can both honor God. Then we'll broaden that out further. Um, for uh, verse seven, for none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? So notice what he's really hammering on. Stop judging each other on these matters of conscience. Or why do you despise your brother? So judging or despising is what we got in view. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, as it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Like You can be rest assured, if that person's conscience is a little off, God will fix their wagon. They'll stand before God, it'll be okay. Then we get to the passage I read about not causing someone to stumble. Now we're not talking about judging and despising, we're talking about actually leading someone into sin. But jump, I want to jump down a little further, down to verse Verse um, 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine, so we including alcohol. Wine is now in the mix. These are the types of things in Rome, still today, observing a day, eating certain foods, drinking alcohol. These, these are the problems that we're creating. People had different conscience issues back then. They had different conscience issues now. And Paul's expecting the body to coexist, not to have the teetotaler church and the um, non-teetotaler church, not to have these, not working on Sunday church. He's expecting the church to be filled with all sorts of consciences, and they're coexisting, and they're getting along, and they're loving each other. This Now, finally, long abundant answer, gets to the answer your question about your conscience issues. So, look at 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God, which is to say, don't try to foist your conscience on somebody else. You observe a day, that is wonderful. Don't go start trying to convince 22 other people to observe a day. You think Christians shouldn't drink alcohol? It's wonderful. Don't drink alcohol. Don't try to convert half the church. Now, it's different, I want to clarify, it is different if you think the Bible teaches that Christians shouldn't drink alcohol. Now we should have a Bible study. You get to the bottom of that. Because it wouldn't be like, I think it's okay to commit adultery. Like, no, we'd be like, we need to sit down and talk, right? Um, so there are things God has spoken clearly about. Jesus does have commands. It's not as though everything is an issue of conscience. Um, so this is assuming we've done that. This is assuming that we've actually tried to work through the scripture. But if by the end of the day, you work through your passages what how mine, wine is a mocker and beer strong drink is a brawler and all of that but the other guy's like, yeah but jesus made wine at the wedding at canaan and like, i still think it'd be better and i've had those discussions they're great you know we have a good bible study and everyone's edified wonderful and we're not on the same page and we say okay at the end of the day it's a matter of conscience now stop trying to foist your conscience on someone else i'm supposed to stop foisting my convictions on other people the faith that you have keep between yourself and god blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves but whoever doubts is condemned if he be eats, because his eating is not from faith. For whatever, is, proceeds, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So I ought not to be trying to foist my conscience on the people. I might, in my convictions, think, man, it is a really good thing to get up first thing in the morning and read my Bible. And now I want to try to convert everyone else in the church to doing this as well. If you're a good believing Christian, you'll do that too. And stop it. So does that answer your question? I mean, Romans 14 is probably the most developed treatment on this, f- closely followed by 1 Corinthians 8. Although they're dealing with slightly different issues. In 1 Corinthians 8, we're looking more at tempting somebody against their conscience to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Um, which might be the modern equivalent, might be your conscience, the movie I, you know, you, we invite you guys over to our house to watch the movie, Serena and me and you guys, and the movie I select or the movie you select. The other person thinks, eh, I think there might be a little too much language for my taste, comfort level. There might be a little too much um, sexual content. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. Now you've got somebody who's doubting. I'm not sure this is clean, good to eat. And, oh, stop being pansies. Just sit down and watch it. Now I'm tempting you to sin. Because verse 33, whatever doubts is condemned if he eats. If you go ahead and watch that movie, Doubting, you sin. Because what you're saying is, God might not want me to do this, but it's okay, I'll do it. And that is a sinful attitude. So, we can sin doing things that are perfectly lawful by doubting. I'm not sure my master, my father, wants me to do it. It's like if it's, it's the best example I can give you, um, my friend Chris gave me, is imagine I tell Abner he can't ride his bicycle. He's been naughty, he can't ride his bicycle. Now, imagine I'm at work, I call Serena, and I say, you know, I was thinking of, of Abner's punishment and how obedient he's been lately. It's at lunchtime. Tell Abner that he, uh, next time you see him, he's able to ride his bike. So from lunchtime, I've given the word he's able to ride his bike. Now imagine Abner has not heard this from Serena and he sneaks into the garage and gets his bike out. It's 12.05. Is he wrong or right for riding his bike? He's wrong. Even though at 12 o'clock I said it was okay, he didn't know that. So God says to us, when you're basically saying, God might not like this. Jesus might have died for this. Well, that's okay. I'll go ahead and do it anyway. That attitude is wrong. So if you doubt, you sin. Even if it turns out what you doubted was okay. Um, you don't get the benefit of the doubt. This is what J. Adams calls the Romans 14 holding principle. That if you're not convinced something is good, don't do it. Don't do it. If you're not convinced eating this food is okay, don't eat it. If you're not convinced working on Sunday is okay, don't do it. You know what I mean? And work through it. Inform your conscience. But while you doubt, you dare not do it or else you sin. And you dare not urge the person who's weak, oh, stop being such a baby. Let's do, it. go do it. Um, I'll give you, give you one other example. Uh, when I was uh, engaged to Serena, we're out in California, and there was a, uh, there was a strike at the Ralph's supermarkets. And uh, all the, the people who worked for Ralph's were out front with pickards, placards, and they'd found some people to work. I think they're called scabs, right? And so we're parked. We need to get a gallon of apple cider for a fall party at a Bible study at Grace Community Church. And Serena's sitting there. and She's like, I don't know. Maybe they've got legitimate grievances. Maybe we shouldn't cross a line. Now, I grew up like reading Ayn Rand and stuff. And I'm just like, posh. You know? But in God's grace, even though I completely disagreed with her, I, I, God gave me the grace in that moment to respect my wife's conscience and realize if I just tell her, grow up, let's just go, I'm sinning. So we sat in the car for 20 minutes and talked through it. And then she was able in faith to cross the picket line and go into Ralph's and buy a gallon of apple cider with me. But if I just said, oh, really? Uh, you know, then I'm just tempting her to sin. She's doubting over whether it's okay, ethically okay to cross the picket line and go buy some uh, apple cider. By the way, I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a big Anne Randian now, but um, um, I think she does a great job pointing out a problem. I think her solution is... Terrifying, but I think her explanation of hey, this is broken, she's generally right. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> but but that's just an example of something that I viewed as stupid, like really? Yeah, but that was her conscience, and I need to respect it. So um, you never want to encourage people to ignore their consciences, even when their consciences are wrong. You can inform consciences, you can instruct consciences, but you never want to train or encourage people to ignore their consciences. Okay, we have 10 minutes. Linda.
3: Okay, so I asked you this a few weeks ago, and you punted because you said you were going to get to it, but you mentioned it today, so if you still need to punt again, that's fine. But can you expound on the judgment seat of Christ? Is that for believers to answer for what they've done after they become believers? Because, I mean, obviously, if we're forgiven for our sin, and like you said yeah. earlier today, he, it's gone, yes. and it's not going to be brought back up. So yes. what is that, What at there at that seat, what are we going to be answering for, giving account for?
0: I think the analogy Jesus gives is of, a, of different men given different talents and what they did. There's an accounting. So as a believer, God's gifted you by his spirit. God's given you an eight gifts of talent and time, and you will give an account, I will give an account for what we did with that. It's not a judgment where heaven and hell and, and wrath are in view, but reward and honor are in view. And some, what they built with, will be tested by fire, and it will be wood, hay, and straw, and they will, they will escape, they won't perish, but as though through flames. And others have built with costly, honorable materials—gold, silver, jewels—and they will be honored. There's measurements of degrees of reward, so nobody at this Bema judgment will go to hell. But there will be different levels of honor and reward, and an accounting for what we've done. Um, and I'm even open—and I'm even open to the possibility of a certain amount of shame. Um, I, not, not, not that it would last with you into heaven, but a certain of, yeah, I really wasn't very faithful, was I? Yeah, God, yeah, I forgive you. Welcome enter in, but you're, you, know, you, you don't have as many crowns or whatever whatever, your metaf- whatever you want to view the reward as. But it's not a judgment where wrath, hell, those types of things are in view. The entire assembled universe will not be present, as I understand it, for this like it will be for the, the great white throne judgment. Um, so that's my non-punting answer. Does that work?
3: Okay, so then you run into the problem of people trying to do things just so they'll count there and not really their heart's not in it or, you know, they're just trying to accumulate crowns, as you say, but they're, you know what I mean?
0: And I I think as far as it goes, well, let me pause. I think that there are three, at least three, legitimate motivations for obedience given by Jesus. One, love. I think that's the highest. Do it because you love God to please. I want to please my father. I love him, and I love his pleasure. Fear is another great one. Repent or you two will perish. And there are times where I'm like, especially, dude, espe- okay, I'll give you one story. You want to talk about fear. So I, I went in, this a couple of years ago, um, and I went in and I was, I was um, spoke harshly to my wife in front of Abner. He was really young at the time. I was mad at something, said, something, why was this done this way, I can't, haven't I told you not to do this, whatever, yeah. And after I left, and my wife, in God's grace, um, didn't respond in kind, okay, well, my son Abner, she tells me later, has this conversation, I'm mad at daddy, I didn't like that. So Serena says to him, it's not okay to not be mad at daddy, you need to go tell him, but you need to go tell him respectfully, so she works through with him what to say. So I'm out, and my son, I think he's probably four years old, comes out and he says to me, daddy, I didn't like the way you talked to mommy i was terrified (laughs) like 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 man you gotta talk about just right between the ribs and twisting and i'm just thinking man if i don't humble myself this is how god sends nathan to rebuke me if i ignore this one the lightning bolts coming next i was just it just broke me but there's also a sense of like (laughs) you know there's a whole lot of biblical passages out of the mouths of babes and all sorts of things um well just recently um a few, a few, about two months ago, I had seen how precisely this passage that we read this morning about leading someone to stumble, um, I, had, I had done that. Um, I, somebody who was called do something very difficult, and I was telling them, hey, you need to do this very difficult thing, and yet I was refusing to do something far less difficult, and they were aware of it, and that was a huge stumbling block. Here's this pastor telling them to do, yeah, you're right, you it's a very difficult thing, and you won't do this much lesser difficult thing and all of a sudden I saw it as I was talking to them and I, this very passage came to mind and I repented primarily because I was just aghast at what I'd done and thinking I don't want to tie a millstone on my neck so I better repent. <laughs> there wasn't, I love God so much and I just want to please him. There was a just terror. I think the fear of the Lord is a very legitimate reason. to. Now if that's the only reason you're obeying 24 hours a day, the sole reason you obey is you're scared, that's probably unhealthy. Likewise, Jesus will put out reward. He will put out reward. When you're mistreated, rejoice and be glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. I can't get around that. When Jesus says things, he says that um, there is a reward for, for various actions. So again, if that's the only reason someone's obeying, and I'm gonna get some more crowns. That would strike me as odd. But I don't want to remove it as a legitimate motivation because Jesus puts it as a legitimate motivation. So at least those three things, love and pleasure, fear of punishment, and reward are all at least put forward by Jesus at various times as legitimate motives. And I don't wanna say only one is good. I tend to think pleasure and love is the primary, that that should be the bread and butter. And at times, fear and or reward is what it takes to fill in the gaps when my pleasure and love is low. I mean, it's like God would rather have me obey because he loves me. It's like my kids, I'd rather my kids obey me because they love me. If they don't wanna get disciplined, that'll do too in a pinch. You know what I mean? Like, right? Right now, if the only reason my kids obeyed me is they're afraid of what I'm going to do, that's not healthy. It's fine periodically. Does that make that make sense? Okay. Candy, back to candy. Four minutes. Three minutes. Here we go.
2: Okay. One more question. Going back to forgiveness. Yes. So you have somebody that professes to be a believer. Um, you've went to them about their sin, and yet they don't repent. What are you obligated to do as a believer
0: i would say and well there's various ways this can be i've i've had somebody come to me with somebody they think is sin and uh it, i didn't think it was sin and say look I, I heard you out i don't think this was going on in my heart i don't think it's what i did um, now we got two options now um here's here's my here's my fundamental assumption leviticus 19 either I'm going to stop thinking they sinned, or I'm going to begin to bear a grudge or become angry at them. That one of those two things will happen. That I can't stay thinking someone's a believer sinning without that happening. So that's why there's a motivation, because the whole don't do this, go talk to them assumes the either or. Either I go talk to them, or I become angry and I want revenge, or I become embittered. That there's no third option. Um, and I generally find that to be true in my own life. So that if I catch myself thinking ill of somebody, oh, that jerk, oh, man, I am beginning to become resentful towards them. Yeah, I probably need to go talk to them, huh? Yeah. So, so what do you do? You try to guard yourself from resentment. You try to guard yourself from bitterness. And you try to, uh, you know, pray that God would help you guys to come to agreement on whatever that is with this other person. And you try to be as at peace as much as you can. But you recognize that to the degree that that's there, it's going to be difficult. You know um, try to be as much peace as much as you can with all people, but you know I'm um, trying to think of uh, in my own in my own family life with one of my sisters, things were weird for a bit. I mean and I wasn't trying to like make it intentionally where it just was because there was some unresolved stuff. Um, we tried talking about it, we didn't get on the same page and at a certain points like, okay, we've talked about it enough. We're not, you're not gonna agree with me. I love you. I try to be as much at peace with you as I can, but things were weird for a bit. Now, eventually we got on the same page, but um, for two or three years, things were weird. And not that I was making it weird, not that it was like, I will not be in the same room as you. It's just the nature of what sin does, and, and those types of disagreements do. It, it's 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 inevitable, right? Um, so that's, the, you try as much as you can to be at peace, but you recognize until we can be able to, we can't, we're not gonna be able to fully be of one mind and one spirit in full accord, well, We have this between us. So my stance is one of being ready to reconcile, being ready to deal with this. And in the meantime, if we've talked about it and we can't get anywhere, I'll just pray and pray that God guards me from any bitterness or resent. That makes sense?
2: Even if they don't want a relationship and they don't admit their sin, how do you do it just from my perspective, like walking? Like I always thought, Renee was saying, you just automatically forgive because God has forgiven me, and then just move forward. And then you just do... The relationship at best you can but there's not really there's not a genuine you know closeness or I mean is that how you do it because so I don't want the bitterness and that kind of stuff so I always thought you just automatically forgive me even if they don't apologize or admit their guilt even if you've confronted them I really blame you for it
0: okay we got five minutes to go okay um, again to the degree yeah there's no bitterness there's no resentment there's no bearing of a grudge but you you and them cannot speak the same. You guys can't have the same confession while you while you are not on the same page, right?
2: No, so you just assume they're not really a believer and just no. keep well, No
0: no 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 I don't mean confession of like the faith. I just mean we we can't okay. What do we do when we gather together? What's part of our fellowship? We say amen, so we sing a song, we pray, we're doing it with one voice. So when I lead us in prayer, my goal would only be to pray such that everyone in this room who's a believer, could say amen, we're, we are having one voice, we are have the same confession, we're saying the same thing, we sing together. All of that illustrates our commonality. Part of what we're trying to do, well, you wonder why do we have corporate singing, corporate prayer? It's ways that all of us together can say the same thing, be of one mind, be in full accord, be in one spirit, right? So part of unity and that relationship that we have as believers involves a common confession and a common unified agreement and amen. Okay, now here's this issue of sin that we don't agree on, right? I lied. I don't agree that I did anything wrong. I don't care. We have now a breach, a partial, not a total. We have a partial breach of unity and confession. And I'm just saying the unescapable consequence of that will be some rift there. Not a total and absolute rift. But we won't have complete peace and complete unity, which we are to strive towards. So on the one hand, I should be seeking unity. I shouldn't just be, okay, whatever. That's just the way it is. I should want to heal that and preserve that. But until I can, I'm not gonna be quarrelsome or anything. I mean, if we're part of the same body, there are other mechanisms in place to resolve that. If If we're not part of the same body, then you go as far as you can and then you pray and you try to be as much peace as you can. And maybe you recognize there is a crack in this thing. It's not broken, but it's not perfectly unified and healed. You just move forward and try to be as much peace as you can. And everything you're saying about letting it go and not bringing it up 300 times and not bear, I amen. I just wouldn't call that forgiveness. Um, but everything that I think you mean by forgiveness, I agree with. So I just
2: kind of left it in God's hand. And
0: yes. Just there, yes. yours
2: and you take care of it and someday yes.
0: you will. And- amen. 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 Hallelujah. We're at time. I'll chat with you after we but we're at time. I got to let everyone else go, uh, otherwise the, the children's workers downstairs left to do overtime. So, thank you.